Welcome to Bringing Bach Back, the podcast that explores the church year through the theology and music of Johann Sebastian Bach. The idea of the show is pretty simple. Each week we're going to look at a different cantata written by Bach for that particular day of the church year. We'll examine the music, the theology, and the original use of each of the cantatas that we study, including hearing the scripture lessons appointed for that day in the church year. After a brief discussion of each part, we'll give a rough translation of the text from the German into the English so that we can understand the message Bach was seeking to convey with his music. We'll listen to the cantatas movement by movement, imagining what it was like to hear that cantata for the first time in a weekly church service. And as we do so, we'll learn that Bach was boldly Lutheran and hopefully seek to bring Bach back to the Lutheran church. We'll begin this episode with the same words that Bach wrote at the beginning of each of his musical pieces, Jesu Yuva, Jesus Helps. If you'll recall, cantatas were musical interludes of the divine service that lasted about 20 minutes. They were performed to reinforce the ideas of the scripture readings and propers of the day that they were teaching. There is no better way to learn theology than to set it to music, and cantatas did that using the beautiful Baroque music style of the time. This week we are looking at the cantata, which is written for the Sunday of Jubilate, which is the fourth Sunday after Easter. This week's cantata is entitled, Weeping, Wailing, Worries, Fears. It's another of Bach's Weimar period pieces, which uh, he also stole from later on in his life and inserted parts of it into other pieces of his work. It has a much more somber feel to it compared to the first two cantatas we've done on this show. Our first one, for Easter, was much more upbeat and jubilant and happy with trumpets, timpanies, and the like. Last week, our cantata was much more pastoral in feel. This week, Bach brings much more dire and melancholy feel to the music, and the words teach the theology of cross using that melancholy feel. Before we learn about the theology of the cross, let's take time to hear the epistle lesson that is appointed for this particular Sunday in the church year. It comes from the epistle of 1 Peter, chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this particular epistle lesson, St. Peter is describing for the hearers what the Christian life looks like. This informs the cantata for the week, which focuses also on what the Christian life looks like. And it is a life that is always lived in the shadow of the cross. We, in fact, call this the theology of the cross, as I hinted earlier. The theology of the cross is the teaching that in this world, the Christian is promised to suffer. As Christ takes up his cross and suffers, he bids the Christian to take up their cross as well and to follow him. As we follow, we are targets for Satan's attacks as he seeks to lead us out of the faith. He uses poverty, weakness, illness, pain, divorce, hate, and death to try and lead us away from Christ. And yet, as we travel through the valley of the shadow of death, 
we do so resolutely in the hands of Jesus. As we suffer, we are not alone. Christ is still Emmanuel, God with us. It is suffering that God promises in this life. In this particular cantata, Bach draws on a lot of the activities that happen in the book of Acts to teach the theology of the cross. We'll hear that more later. But this doctrine is also taught elsewhere in Scripture. In Matthew 10, Jesus tells the disciples, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, In this world you will have tribulation. And a few verses later, in chapter 17, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Christ promises to the people of the church that they will face suffering and persecution in this world. This is the opposite of what many false preachers today teach. For example, Joel Osteen or Creflo Dollar or any other pastor, really, who owns their own personal jet. Even some who do not own that jet but still teach the same thing are false teachers. They say things like this, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, if only you'll believe it strongly enough. God wants you to find your purpose here in this world so that you can serve others. This sounds nice at first, but this is not the theology of the cross, the theology of suffering. Instead, this is a teaching called the theology of glory. These false teachers who teach this use their own wealth as an example of how all true Christians are to be rich like them as well. These pastors often dance around in front of the church wearing $1,000 suits. This is not the theology of the cross either. But instead, it's a theology of glory, seeking to find one's reward here in this world, seeking to receive our reward now, not later. At this time, let's go ahead and focus on this week's cantata. Let's move to that first movement. This week, we begin with a symphony, or an all-musical piece. It's kind of a different feel to it. It's in a slow 8-8 time signature, with the oboe playing a plaintive melody over violins and violas. This sinfonia was the basis for a later Bach piece, the crucifixus of his B minor mass, completed the year before Bach died. When you listen, you'll notice that this piece is much more mournful and sad than many of the other pieces we have heard so far in this program. This can be attributed to it being in the key of F minor. This is to acknowledge that suffering that we face in our lives is real. It also moves more slowly, indicating to the hearer that our lives at times seem to plot along slowly, with no direction, with difficulty, and even with uncertainty about what the next day might bring. Let's begin our cantata this week listening to the first movement of number 12, the cantata number 12, Weinen, Klagen, Sorgen, Sagen, or in English, Weeping, Wailing, Worries, Fears.
you can see what I mean about it being a much more plaintive, much more melancholy sort of feel to this particular cantata as it begins this week, uh, just from listening to that sinfonia. Let's move on now to the second movement of this week's cantata. This movement is a choral movement with four voices and is also in the key of F minor. The choral piece continues in the very same elegiac and mournful manner as the previous movement. What I'd really like to draw your attention to here is the translation of the words for this particular movement. Uh, it is really uh, helps clear up a lot of what's going on in the entire cantata, at least as it begins. As we uh, do so this week, I'd like to say thank you to Pastor Aaron Hamilton of Lisbon, North Dakota, who is my official cantata translator, if you will. Uh, he has studied in Heidelberg and is an excellent German speaker, and so he's the one who's taking these words from the German and putting them in English for us. The words of this particular chorus, this first movement of this cantata, are as follows. Weeping, wailing, worries, fears. Anguish and need are the Christians' bread of tears, which bear the mark of Jesus. In the uh, German, those first words, I think, just sound great, and uh, the way they go together, weinen, klagen, sorgen, sagen, uh, and that kind of uh, gives that uh, harsh sort of feeling just from listening to those particular words. When you hear this movement, listen for the voices to draw out those words into long, slow, mournful melismas, remembering that a melisma is when you have more than one note per syllable. Note also that each voice comes in in a different word that describes our sadness here on earth, dealing with sin. The sopranos begin by singing weinen, which means weeping, as they come to the last syllable of that word, the altos join in by singing wailing. On the last note of that word, the tenors come in and begin singing worries. And finally, on the last syllable of that, the bass comes in and sings fears or zogen. This sets off another round of melancholically singing these words in round. Each voice sings all four of those words two times through before coming together to sing Zorgen Zagen together, worries and fears. This cycle of repeating these words over and over in the different voices kind of describes our lives in facing these difficulties. They happen to us over and over again, coming in in different ways and different times for different people. The choir then sings the words about anguish and need are the Christians' bread of tears in unison before breaking out into another melancholic, plaintive, slow-moving uh, section again. Note that in all of this section, the higher voices seem to begin the, mov the movement and things continue to move down the musical scale, emphasizing how the world seems to beat us downward over time. After this, there is an interlude of three and a half measures with a key change that brings up a much more joyful-sounding section that discusses the mark of Christ. It's a reminder of our baptism where Christ washed us and made his own precious possession. In fact, the melismas on this quicker sense section of the chorus are over the word trogen, which means carry. We carry the mark of Christ in our baptism. It is the sign of the cross that's been placed both upon our forehead and upon our heart in that great sacrament. That's why at the beginning of church services and in all sorts of other times, we are free as Christians to make that sign of the cross in remembrance of our baptism. In other words, our suffering is how we are to be found in Christ. The end of the chorus then moves us back to the earlier section of the chorus, but now with the same words about the mark of Christ upon us. We don't just suffer. We do so marked by Jesus. Let us listen to the second movement of Weeping, Wailing, Worries, Fears, Box 12th Cantata, and when that choral section will begin at this time.
when you listen to that whole piece, uh, you can almost kind of hear the violins and the violas underneath uh, representing footsteps as we walk through this long, difficult life uh, and um, the uh, struggles, the worries, the fears uh, that we deal with, the wailing and the weeping uh, that come about because of sin. All these things are greatly represented here uh, in this particular cantata. Now, don't uh, get discouraged because it does turn. It becomes positive as we find our identity in Christ, and we'll hear about that in just a few minutes. Before we do that, though, we're going to take a couple-minute break, um, and we'll continue and get back to Box 12th Cantata, Weeping, Wailing, Worry, Fears, after this break. Don't forget to like our Facebook page, Bringing Bach Back. Welcome back to Bringing Bach Back. I'm Pastor Adam Moline. We're halfway through this week's cantata, Weinen, Klagen, Sorgen, Sagen, or in English, Weeping, Wailing, Worries, Fears. This, of course, is Bach's 12th cantata. We just finished a rather long choral section, uh, but now we're going to move through these other sections just a little bit quicker than we had the first few. The next movement is a recitative sung by the alto voice. It is extremely brief, and yet the lyrics contain the entire meaning of the cantata. And the lyrics for this particular movement are as follows. Through great tribulation must we enter the kingdom of God. You can see that that is a rather short section of lyrics, uh, and yet these words are a direct quote from the Luther Bible specifically the words of Acts chapter 14, when Paul and Barnabas were in the city of Lystra. I'd encourage you to go back and read chapter 14 of the book of Acts to get an understanding of this particular verse. To really quickly summarize, Paul had just been stoned for preaching Christianity, and his response was to encourage his fellow Christians with the words that we are singing in this particular movement. In this movement itself, the word tribulation is repeated four times, each time descending on the music scale, except for the last one, which sort of trills up and down as if the tribulation that we face in the footsteps of Christ is terrifyingly real. You can almost shudder as you hear that trill. Then again, the music brightens a tiny bit for the discussion of the kingdom of God. When we hear these words and music together, one understands what this life is. It is the depth of woe that is spoken of in Psalm 130. It is the valley of the shadow of death that Psalm 23 speaks as of us crossing through. It is this present suffering that St. Paul says cannot compare with the promise of what is to come when we leave this world behind. We must go through this sinful world to enter into the world that is to come. We must suffer now because of our guilt. But it is promised to us that in the world to come, suffering will be gone. Revelation chapter 7 says that in heaven there will be no more hunger, no more thirst, no more scorching sun, no more heat, but instead that Christ will wipe every tear from our eyes. As it has been said before, for the Christian, this life is the worst thing that they will ever know. And yet for the unbeliever, who will spend eternity in hell, this life is the best thing they'll ever know. All the same, as we Christians go through this, the worst thing we'll ever know, we do so with our eyes fixed on the world to come, promised to us by our Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ our Lord. As we Christians pass through this world, we always must trust in Christ. Let us now hear this alto recitative. As a side note,
What a beautiful ending there and kind of a spooky chord being played on the organ. If you go back and listen to that last chord of the organ, it almost sounds like the opening chord to the Phantom of the Opera musical, the theme for that, uh, and yet it is a step different in its uh, pitch. The next movement that we'll hear is an aria sung by the alto, accompanied by the oboe and the organ. It is the first of three consecutive arias in this particular cantata. Three arias in a row is a rather unusual thing for a cantata. The oboe part trumpets a hopeful mood for the very first time this week as well, rising above a still somewhat somber vocal part. And yet the words of this portion are beautiful and describe the theology of the cross clearly. The words can be translated into English as this. Cross and crown are bound together. Strife and jewel are united. Christians have, in every hour, their anguish and their enemy. Yet their solace are the wounds of Christ. With these words, opposites are bound together into the life of the Christian. The shame and degradation of the cross are also connected to the glory and majesty of the crown of eternal life. This reminds us of the life of St. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, whose name itself means crown, who was stoned to death for confessing the Christian faith. As Stephen lay dying, he shouted out, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Both glory and suffering together united in the Christian life. Strife and jewel are also mentioned as being united in Christ. Throughout the scriptures, jewels are constantly seen as adorning the beautiful brides of the Bible. This begins with Rebekah in the Old Testament and culminates with the new Jerusalem descending from heaven as the bride of Christ, adorned with twelve beautiful jewels which are the gates to enter into that heavenly Jerusalem. At the same time, strife is constant in the scriptures as well. The two... Beautiful jewels and strife, therefore, are united in the life of the Christian. And now the explanation. Christians have their anguish and their enemy in every hour. Yet their solace facing this anguish and their enemies are the wounds of Jesus Christ. In other words, what is it that allows for the Christian to survive the suffering, strife, and difficulties of this present world if it's not the blood of Christ? if it's not the death of Christ, if it's not the resurrection of Jesus. It is that death and resurrection that stands as the hinge for this particular cantata that moves it from the somber beginning to the more positive-sounding finale, where the Christian understands that what God ordains is always good and remembers that Jesus is their priceless treasure. Even when it means our suffering in this sinful world, after all, God works through suffering to teach us faith in Jesus. The agony of Christ gives us our peace. Let us now hear the Alto Aria.
The next movement is a bass aria, the second of the three consecutive arias. This particular aria has an almost jovial feel to it, with the bass singing the words of a faithful Christian confession. The confession is this, I follow after Christ, from him I will not turn. In health and hardship, in life and death, I kiss the humiliation of Christ. I wish to run to his cross. I follow after Christ. From him I will not turn. The jovial feel of this particular movement is brought about from the change from a minor key to the key of E-flat major. This brings a much more positive tone to this movement. This movement describes the Christian life both musically and theologically. Having acknowledged the necessity of suffering in this world because of its sinfulness, the Christian now sets his eyes upon Christ and moves forward, no matter what events arise. It reminds us of the apostles in the book of Acts chapter 5, where the apostles were arrested and beaten before being charged never to preach in the name of Jesus again. Upon their release, the apostles rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. One also recalls the conversion of St. Paul in Acts chapter 9, when God tells Ananias that Paul must learn how much he is to suffer for Christ's name. Finally, one also thinks of St. Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul writes, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pled with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. All these particular passages describe what this movement is trying to do. The Christian lives their life in Christ, no matter what arises, health or hardship, life or death, riches, poverty, joy or sadness. No matter what happens, we follow Christ, and we rejoice that he has found us worthy to suffer in such ways. We run to his cross every time we face one of these challenges, returning to our baptism and to his forgiveness of our sins by his bloody death and glorious resurrection. Let us now hear this particular bass aria. Some of those low notes are just amazing that uh, people can sing that, aren't they? The next movement returns us to a key that is minor, 
and that's uh, for a couple of reasons we'll talk about. It still does retain the positive theological message, however. It retains that minor key, first off, to convey the contingency of remaining faithful, facing the struggles of life. Uh, but we'll also continue to remind the hearer of the promises that we have in Jesus. Uh, we'll hear about the second reason it stays in a minor key in just a moment. Before we hear about that, though, let's hear the translation of this movement. It is remain faithful. All pain will be but a small matter. After the rain blooms the blessing, all storms blow over. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. Note the warning and the promise. Remain faithful. Storms blow over. Remain faithful. After the rain, flowers bloom. Remain faithful. All your pain is but a small matter. This reflects again the words of St. Paul who writes in Romans chapter 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. After all, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. In the end, though, for the Christian, all that matters is remaining faithful. In riches, in poverty, in health or sickness, it is only Christ that is the one that can bring us through death into eternal life. This brings us to the second reason this returns to the minor key. In this particular movement, Bach hid one of our very favorite Lutheran hymns. In the background, beginning about 20 seconds into the piece, you can hear a trumpet. That trumpet is playing the melody to the hymn, Jesus Priceless Treasure. It's hymn 743 in our Lutheran service book, Hymnal. There are no words that are sung with it, so we don't know which verse Bach had in mind as he was preparing it and hid that particular tune in the background. But the entire hymn is brought to mind when one discovers this hidden melody. I can't help but think that uh, the words Bach wanted you to think about are as follows. Part of the first verse of that hymn. Ah, how long in anguish shall my spirit languish, yearning, Lord, for thee. Thou art mine, O Lamb divine, I will suffer not to hide thee, not I ask beside thee. Those are the words that came to my mind when I heard that particular melody in the background, trumpeting, uh, sort of in secret, and we'll hear those words uh, in our minds as we listen here in a moment to this particular uh, cry going out again and again in this third aria sung by the tenor voice. It is truly a, a genius move by Bach to bring a hymn to mind while preaching a musical sermon on what that hymn teaches us at the same time. Once you recognize that hymn hidden within, it reveals the true nature of this particular musical piece. This time now we'll hear this last movement, the aria tenor.
That was uh, just a lovely as well. This uh, brings us to the last movement of this particular cantata. It is a choral arrangement of the hymn, What God Ordains is Always Good. Uh, this particular hymn is familiar to us modern-day Lutherans. It is in both the old TLH, uh, Lutheran hymnal, and also in our new LSB hymnal. It is the final verse of this hymn, originally written by Samuel Rodegast. Uh, the words that we are going to hear are this. This is the translation from the Lutheran service book. What God ordains is always good. The truth remains unshaken. Through sorrows, need, or death be mine. I shall not be forsaken. I fear no harm, for with his arm he shall embrace and shield me. So to my God I yield me. As you listen, note how the hymn is done beautifully in four parts and how Bach brings the trumpet back in above the vocals as a reminder of the last movement uh, that we just finished hearing a minute or two ago. We'll close this cantata by hearing uh, the chorale, What God Ordains is Always Good. This concludes Bach's cantata, the twelfth one, Weeping, Wailing, Worries, Fears. It also concludes our third episode of Bringing Back Bach. I pray it's been a blessing for you and that it has allowed you to peek into our great Lutheran musical heritage and to enjoy a piece of music that is decidedly Lutheran in its theology and is an amazing contribution to music itself. As you think back on today's episode, remember this is what church music can be, beautifully carrying our theology and music fit for heaven. Bach was just a church musician who took great hymns and chorales of the church that came before them and made them into music that carried the gospel to the hearers of countless generations. That's why it's so important today that we continue to bring Bach back into the Lutheran church. If you have any feedback on our program from today, please let us know. Contact us at KNNA Radio. We'll keep on working to improve our broadcast, and we'd love to hear from you. We'll end this episode with the same words Bach wrote at the end of all of his compositions. Three little letters, SDG, for Solo Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. I'm Pastor Adam Moline, your host, bidding you Auf Wiedersehen until our next episode. God bless your day. Bringing Back Bach is a production of KNNA Radio of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. If you have any feedback, please contact KNNA or visit the website www.thecross957.org.